We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, my podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. On today's show, we have former rugby player Aidan Toa. Toa, he's got some toe. Aidan Toa! And they pluck five points out of nowhere. The Queensland Reds with the kick to come. They're in front. Aiden, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's such a pleasure to be able to chat to you. We've just been having a nice long chat about kids and yeah. moving and all sorts of things. But then we started to go into life after sport. Yeah. <laughs> you said something that just made me laugh so much. Is when you retired, it's like, why doesn't someone just give me a job? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, firstly, thanks for having me on, Libby. Um, pleasure. Absolute pleasure. You know, can, you know, and I'll have a bit of a fanboy moment now. <laughs> you know, I guess swimming, not really my strength. <laughs> I'm more of a land animal. <laughs> You're a land-based mammal. But, that's you know, cool. every four years when the Olympics come around, you, that's the three weeks you just tune in no yeah. matter what event you just watch. And so watching the 04 Olympics, the 08, uh, having, you know, accomplished what you have, it's an absolute privilege to sit down here with you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, funny conversation Hello. we're having. And I was just saying – just having recently gone through it with my experiences in rugby, everything was just given to you on a platter. Yeah. You know, what time you have to be at the airport, what time you have to be at training, what clothes you need to wear to yep. this event and and then you retire. And it's like, well, why isn't someone, you know, giving me steps in terms of what I have to do next? <laughs> What's the process? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what do I need to do to, as you said, to get a job? Yeah. But no, you got to, you know, so it's a, it's a whole different journey that you need to then embark on. You need to... Um, you know, I guess get some confidence from different places and just get out of your comfort zone and go ask questions and go finances yourself. Uh, I just, I resonate so much with that because that's literally, uh, that's a story that I tell. I'm like, until the age of 27, I was told what to do, where to go, yep. when to be there, what to pack. You know, someone takes your passport yep. at the exactly. airport. You don't even need to worry about bringing your passport to the airport. No, exactly. You just hand them over. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, uh, oh, what is this? this I know. Is so weird. spoiled. So yeah. spoiled. It's a funny thing because, like, you, you live in a bubble mm -hmm. and you can't deny that. Like, you, yeah. I think if any athletes out there, you know, were like, oh, we're not entitled or selfish. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need to step out of your bubble and take a look back in. 100%. <laughs> you just wait. Yeah. <laughs> It's an interesting process. So what what has that been like for you? Because you were only kind of – you retired in 2020. Yes. But then you went and played for your local club. For East, yes, just yeah. down the road. Just down the road. Um, which was uh, a fabulous experience. Mm. Uh, we actually ended up winning the premiership that year. Amazing. Which, you know, and I look back at my career, the year I left school, 2008, was my first year out of school, sorry, was my first year with East, mm. and we won a premiership. Really? Then, yeah. And then I fast forward 12 years and that's an kind of finishing winning a premiership with East. It, it sort of, it felt fitting. What a beautiful bookend. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, although retirement was just not on the agenda, like I hadn't really thought about it. It was, de I definitely hadn't planned for it, but to look back now and to think it's just a great way to start and finishing in the same way. Yeah. It just, you know, it's, it fitted really well. And then, yeah, and then so I actually, four months later, there's this annual game that they play, the the winners of the Brisbane Comp versus the winners of the Sydney Comp, which was in March the following year. Okay. And so I'd done nothing for four months, three weeks before the <laughs> well game. Well prepared, you're that, just tapered, ready <laughs> yeah, to go. Yeah. They were like, can you come back and play this um, Australian Club Championship game? I said, oh, guys, look, I'll try. So I pretty much strapped my whole body. <laughs> a whole body strap, yeah. thanks. And it was just 80 minutes trying to tap into as much muscle memory as I could. And we won the game. Wow. Um, you know, which was, it was something in 2008. I didn't get to play in that club championship game that East were a part of. So it was nice to be a part of that as well. Mm. And then it was, well, I was well and truly done after yeah. that. Yeah. But, you know, I guess being 31 when that all happened, relatively young, I think mentally I could definitely, I'm, I'd still be up for it. Okay. But, you know, physically, I don't know. I've 
my first five years of being a professional rugby player, I had two ACL reconstructions, countless hamstring tears, a ruptured pec. Um, <laughs> Smiled. Yeah. So, you know, by the, by the, by the age of 24, uh, you know, I'd spent half of my, half of those five years in, in rehab. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I look back now and although I was, you know, relatively young retiring at 31, I think, um, you know, just, I can't help but feel grateful for being, just being able to reach, um, have, you know, played 12 years mm. at the top level. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny how we can be the perspective that we have, you know, you go, oh, I'm so young at 31 and I, I was 27, 27 when, I, yes. <laughs> when I retired. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And now at 37, I'm almost 38, I go, oh, man, like I wish I could have kept racing until I was in my 30s. Yeah, but I, I don't, swimmers are so young. Yeah. Similar to sort of like my, my eldest daughter is an avid gymnast. Amazing. And even like – They're so young. They're so young. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, you know, I'm obviously having to start and watch the, all the events and all the gymnastics routines and who's who in the gymnast world. <laughs> Like they're 16, they're 17. Yeah. Yeah. And swimming's, you know, the same. Yeah. You know, every sort of com games or every Olympics, there seems to be some new teenage superstar coming through. I was a late bloomer. Swim team at 21. No, at 18. At 18? <laughs> I was 18 Crazy. when I first made my Australian team. Gosh. And yeah, I was, I would have been considered like kind of on the older side of, of making your first Australian team. It's yeah. ridiculous, it, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What, like, what is it when you, is it, I don't know, when you get into your late 20s, are you just not as... Well, I think well, it, particularly for women, it, it the conversation becomes about biological your clocks bi yeah, and all yeah. of those sorts of things yeah, as well. That makes sense. But I think predominantly for swimmers, it's burnout. Yeah, I, I was going to say because you start so young. Yeah. I always tell the story that Lisa Jones started swimming 10 sessions a week at the age of 10. I mean, that's, that's yeah. a huge commitment. And, you know, obviously she went to win a silver medal at the 2000 Olympics at the age of 15. Yeah. So it paid off for her. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, there's so much pressure, there's so much expectation from a really young age. How did, how did you manage those pressures and expectations? Um, well, I guess luckily for me, you know, I only started playing rugby as a 13-year-old. Mm. Um, being born and raised in Papua New Guinea, I uh, came over to boarding school at Churchy okay. uh, as a 13-year-old and that's where I was introduced to rugby. Prior to that, it was just sports. Yeah. Uh, sports mad. You know, I can I can vividly remember waking up at three in the morning in Port Moresby to get up and watch the English Premier League. Amazing. Um, so you love all sports fan. over there? All sports. Okay, because I thought um, they were rugby, rugby league. league. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty I mean, sure you're rug rugby, rugby league mad. I think rugby league's nearly a religion there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, well, it's an unofficial religion. Yes. So it is, it is the number one sport. But as a junior, there, are, there aren't too many junior sporting programs around yeah uh, the international schools you know you've got your own sort of inter-school competition and it's mainly just soccer cricket like athletics you know just the usual athletics cross country but it was yeah it was all sports yeah. growing up and then coming to churchy obviously rugby in private schools is huge massive yeah uh, and then you know being a boarder every day the boarders would go out and play touch rugby on the field and mm. i'd just be like all right well got to fit in so yeah. I'll go play <laughs> yeah. some touch rugby because well and that's a whole nother conversation you know trying to moving to Australia. I was literally just going to ask like <laughs> what was what was that like because you're so young coming to a boarding school yeah. a whole new country a whole new culture. I think um, my mum's family lived in Brisbane so I spent a couple of school holidays when I was younger we'd come and visit them here so Brisbane wasn't too unfamiliar to me mm. and I think in Port Moresby, like families, you know, the kids would get to grade seven and then they'd always come to boarding school mm. or the lucky family, sorry, okay. not every family. Yeah. And so it was sort of, I guess, somewhat normal getting to grade seven and then being shipped off to boarding school. So it wasn't. So that's a very normal thing. It, it is a very normal thing for families up there. Mm. Um, but, you know, it still didn't make it any easier um, moving away from mum and dad and from everything you know. And so it's funny. I think it was probably the year before I came to boarding school. I never really noticed it, but I was with my cousins in Brisbane. Mm. I overheard my cousin speaking to his mum and he goes, hey, mum, why do Aiden and Courtney, my sister, he said, why do Aiden and Courtney speak with a weird accent? And I was like, I don't, do I? <laughs> like, do I, do yeah, I have do a I? weird accent? Yeah, wait, wait, hang on, wait. <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of, 
I guess that stuck with me. So when I moved to boarding school, I was just super conscious of fitting in. Mm. Um, so no one, I guess, I obviously had an accent, but you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big thing. You know, I just, I just wanted to let me just fit into the back. And I think sport always, I was always naturally quite good at sport, very yes. athletic. And so it was a way where I did fit in and in some, um, in some ways excelled. Mm. And I guess I used sport and cricket in term one and then rugby in term two, athletics. And I used that as a way not only to be part of a group, yeah, but then to really, you know, just be comfortable and rather than, you know, trying to fit into the backgrounds, it's like, all right, sport's going to be my platform to really showcase who I am. Such an important connecting tool. Yeah. Oh, hugely, hugely important. And, it, and you're so right. It was, it was a way that I could connect to my new friends. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I was a decent cricket player. So when I came, cricket luckily was first, um, first sport term one. And I started in the 13 Fs or whatever it was. Yeah. And then slowly, you know, over the space of nine games, made my way into the 13 As by the end of the end of the, in the end of that short season. And, you know, and then everyone starts to, um, oh, wow, this guy, you know, you're yeah. in the A's now, come sit with us at lunch. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, you start to like, get some kind of credibility. Yeah. You're not just some random foreigner yeah. who's just trying to infiltrate. It's like, oh, no, he's he's one of us. He's, like, connected. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so sport was brilliant like that. But, yeah, the whole moving countries, yeah. trying to assimilate into this new environment. Yeah, it was it was scary, but... But yeah, there was a couple of young Papua New Guinean kids who started with me, so I still okay. had that familiarity around That's me. That's good. An older, an older Papua New Guinean as well in grade twelve, who was who was great for us. Mm. And but you know, I loved boarding school. Did I, keep you? I keep telling my wife back now. The girls, I don't know. The girls, I'm not too sure. I don't know what the experience is like. Mm. But I keep telling her we're sending Sonny to boarding school, <laughs> <laughs> whether he likes it or whether not. Whether he likes it or not, and he's going because I just had I had such a brilliant experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I just want him to have the same thing. What do you feel like it taught you? Oh, just to, I guess, a little bit of independence at such a young age. Mm. You know, the, the, like the, the boarding house was great. Uh, building, building friendships and it's outside of your schoolyard friends, yeah. um, I think, as well. And, you know, there are lots of guys now in grade eight who I still talk to regularly. Um, I, and I think having a... A diverse network of friends mm. at such a young age. Like a lot of them were country boys. Yeah. And then so, you know, by grade nine, I'm getting invited out to Gundawindi. Amazing. And, you know, all these places <laughs> that I'd never even heard of before. Um, thinking, how do you guys drive this far yeah. all <laughs> yeah. the time? <laughs> yes. you know, it's such a long way. So far. And, yeah. And so I think, yeah, learning that, I guess, that independence and you, you have to be a bit resilient mm. from such a young age. You know, getting over that whole homesick phase, and you know, trying to put on a brave front. Mm. You know, and it, but at the same time, it's like you know, you're you're trying not to look because you're in just this environment of just boys only. Mm. You're trying not to seem like the soft one who's crying every night. Yeah. Um, so you know, the first four weeks, wait till the lights are off, bury my head in my pillow, and then start crying because you don't <laughs> you don't want heartbreaking. Yeah. Um. Because you don't want anyone to um. Because everyone else was just. It seemed like they were all enjoying themselves, mm. but I'm sure there was eight of us in grade eight in my boarding house, and I'm sure at nine yeah. o'clock we'd all do the same thing. <laughs> You're all burying your heads. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, as I said, just a, yeah, a great experience. Mm. I loved it. Do you feel like that experience combined with your kind of participation in sports does create that mindset of – resilience and having to pick yourself up even when you don't want to just knowing that you have to get up and go to school and you know forget about that you're homesick yeah and just to, get on with and things. just get on with it yeah 100 percent. i think um personally for me um as i sort of alluded to before i entered the reds system as an 18 year old and those five years you know i had countless injuries i spent more time on the physio bed and in the doctor's ward than i did on the field i look back and i like I've learned so many lessons mm. from as disappointed and as sad as I was. And actually, you know, I think it was 2012, I had a terrible year. Mm. Um, it was off the back of my second knee reconstruction and I had, I think, six really bad hamstring tears back to back. Mm. And so I'd missed sort of two full 
consecutive years of rugby. Wow. Um, I was coming off contract. I was, you know, your, your mind just goes everywhere. And then, you know, I, bro- I broke up with Beck mm. um, in that period. And I look back now and I, you know, and I actually said to her the other day, I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was depression. Mm. Um, you know, and I was just, I didn't want to go to training. You know, I was drinking way too much. And I just thought, it's hard to it's hard to put into words what I was actually thinking because I haven't thought about that period of time in depth at all mm. besides the other day and now. Mm. Um, so I'm still sort of figuring it out. Still but, processing. Yeah, it. but looking back at it now, um, you know, it definitely was, and that mm. was tough. And I guess the way I sort of you come out of that and bounce back from the different injuries. I mean, you just you know everyone goes through different hardships. Mm. Uh, and they deal with things different ways. And I think one, for me, it was, hey, you've been through this before, you know, from a purely rugby perspective, you've been through all these injuries before. Um, and I, I was lucky enough then actually to have a coach by the name of Ewan McKenzie. He, and, you know, I still, he was hands down the best coach that I've ever had. And not through his tactical now, but just the way he handled people mm. and he managed people. And I was only 22 it's such a big um, part of coaching, I oh, think. Oh, you know, and I think about it now and, you know, my career could have gone one or two ways. Mm. Like I could have just thrown in the white towel and been like, nah, rugby's not for me and just yeah. felt sorry for myself and then just, you know, let's just get on with whatever life has in store for me yeah. or, you know, I can try step by step. You know, I, I know what rehab is because I've been through it with both my knee reconstructions already. Yeah. Talk to my coach, let's build the rehab program. But at the same time, you and I guess he saw – he saw the ability and the potential there. And so he said, look, I'll sign you for another two years. Wow. And I think him having that conversation with me, I was just like, all right, I'm going to do everything that I can not mm. to disappoint this guy because he's shown a lot of faith in me. Yeah. And then, you know, block by block, you start to rebuild and you turn things around. 2013 was a rebuild year. 2014 started the year with a bang. It was meant to be sort of my breakout year as a 20. I was 24 then, so a bit old for a breakout so year. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, by then I'd only played sort of, I reckon, 15 games of rugby wow. in the last five years. But then I unfortunately ruptured my pec. Um, but I was, in, I was in a much better place to deal with things. You know, I ruptured my pec. My season got cut short, but it's, you know, as we, as we were speaking about um, before off air, you just you learn to just get on with things. Mm. I just sort of built the perspective then that, Rugby wasn't everything mm. and, you know, things will be okay even without rugby. Um, thankfully, I was able to continue and stay in rugby. Me and Beck, we ended up moving to France. Matilda was born um, and things just started to happen and I came back and had two years with the Brumbies um, and then over in Japan, had another daughter and mm. now another son. And, yeah, you know, as we, as we sort of said before, you realise that like, things will be okay. Yeah. You know, I just want to go before we start to talk about what, you know, that kind of retirement transition has been and, you know, your kind of big exciting plans. I want to just because I'm always so fascinated when, you know, the best athletes are kind of faced with this fork in the road. And it feels like inevitably at some point an athlete is faced with this moment where it's like, I can just give up now yeah. or do I keep going because it's so much easier. It's so much easier just to stop, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like it, it would be so much easier for us just to go, okay, well, fuck this, I'm, I'm out. Yeah. And especially with what you had been through, with all of the injuries, with all of the rehab, like yeah. what was it that kept you building those blocks? Was it the team that you had around you? Was it your coach and your, and your partner? One was, to be honest, I haven't really thought about it too much um so i'll do my best to articulate it yep. as best as i can now. <laughs> on the fly um, yeah <laughs> so how we like it <laughs> <laughs> exactly um i've always had super high expectations for myself and so i think you know and com- coming through school and when i started to you know grade 11 and grade 12 you start to make rep teams um the queensland school boys the australian school boys uh people start to talk about you and i remember my first year out of school we played there was this like a sort of a young Reds development team and we played against a traveling team from Auckland and they had three or four All Blacks in their team. Um, you know, on paper they were expected just to put 40, 50 points on us and we actually beat them. 
Wow. Um, and I scored two tries in that game and there was a pitcher. So the current fullback then was a guy named Chris Latham and he was our water boy and someone snapped a picture of him handing me a water bottle and there's a big article written up. It was sort of like a changing of the baton. Yeah, cool. Um, and as a young 18-year-old, it's like, oh, you know, maybe that was. Yeah. You know, yeah, I'm going to take this guy's spot next yeah. year. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and so I guess you go, I had all those injuries, but I still wanted to be that person. You yeah. know, I still wanted to be the Queensland Reds fullback and I still deep down, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I think a bit of that and a bit of fear you know, not knowing what was in store outside of rugby for me because I hadn't thought about it once. I remember finishing school and everyone was talking about going to uni. Mm. And I was like, oh, shit, is that something I should be thinking <laughs> should about I as be? well? Like, do I go to uni? Is that a thing? Um, yeah. Like, do rugby guys go to uni? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Someone tell me, tell me what to <laughs> yeah, do. Someone please tell me what to do. <laughs> um, and But none of the the squad that I was going into – I don't think anyone was. I don't think anyone was studying. I mean, they may have been, mm. but it didn't. It wasn't obvious to me. Yeah. And you know, being a border, the only I guess male role models in my life were the older guys in the red squad. Yeah. At that point in time, and so it was like, all right, well, I'm just going to do what these guys are doing. They're not going to uni, so I'm not going to go to uni. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so having all those injuries and then not having a clear path, you know, if rugby didn't work, what would I do outside of it? So there was a bit of fear there, I think. So that compounded with that fire in my belly that I still wanted to, you know, I still hadn't achieved what I yeah. thought I would by this point, you know. And and at the same time, you know, I'm going through all these injuries and all of my friends in the same cohort, a couple of years older, they're just going um, from Reds to Wallabies and, mm. you know, in 2011 – um, I made my debut for the Reds the year I did my second ACL and the Reds won the Super Rugby Championship. Wow. And so it's always like, oh, if I didn't do my knee, would I have been a part of that team? I mean, pointless exercise. Totally. But you're always you're going to have those thoughts. <laughs> you always right? have those moments, yeah. right, the what ifs. And so it was like, yeah, so I think it was a, a number of factors. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so proving something to myself yeah. as well as not knowing what my life looks like outside of rugby yeah. was really, I guess, the driving factors in getting back on the horse and giving it another red hot crack. I love that you haven't really articulated that and you articulated it so beautifully. I, I, I felt just like now. I was just going in circles. No, no, not at all. That was that was amazing because fear fear is a huge motivator for a yeah. lot of people. I know it was a huge motivator for me, and that high expectations is something that I think is you know universal across. Yeah most athletes, yep. right? But it's also that kind of inner knowing that you are capable of it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that's a I think that's a huge thing as well. I knew that I could. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I'd had countless coaches telling me that this is where, you know, your talents yeah. can deliver you. Yeah. You know, and I mean, unashamedly, I, you know, I look at guys who have played in the Wallabies, played for the Wallabies and had long, um, illustrious careers. And they made like huge sacrifices to get to where they to where they had. I'm very much a person who likes to have fun. Yeah. And you know, and I guess at that point in time, I wasn't prepared to make the same sacrifices as them. And you know, and so it's probably why our careers went the way that they did. But yeah, I think having that that inner voice telling you, you know, you do have the talent and you do have the potential yeah. to be there was another, I guess, another driving factor. I find that fascinating because it's you are self-aware enough to go, I'm good enough and I I want to be part of the Queensland Reds, yeah. right? But you're like, mm, but also the Wallabies. It's not a thing that I'm necessarily <laughs> aspiring. Like I think that's really fascinating Yeah, because most people go, like uh, the comparison that I can make is I've just been thinking a lot about Ash Barty, the tennis player. Yes. <laughs> don't, don't ask me why. Um, like she's amazing. Just brilliant. Like yeah. un unbelievable, right? Yeah. World number one, Australian Open champion, Wimbledon, like just unbelievable. And I'm like, why are you retiring at yeah. 25? Like that. that's really – oh, my dog's going off. Um, <laughs> like I, I find that weird because in my mind I'm like – you're just at the beginning. I, I know. Exactly. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean? So I'm fascinated by that. You understand yourself enough to go. I, I'm, I'm so good enough to be here. Yeah. But I don't want to be there. I think you just saying that then 
brought another realization. I think, you know, I talked about before about it was always sports for me. Yes. It was never rugby. Like okay. I didn't, you know, I didn't when I was five, six, it was never, I didn't want to be a wallaby. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to play cr- professional cricket, yeah, you know, or professional right. soccer. Um, so I think it was just being a professional sports person. Yes. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that sounds weird. No, it and makes then, sense. You know, and then as I come to boarding school, I start to, you know, I play rugby. At first I play rugby purely just to fit in mm. because I was shit at it. <laughs> I, d- I didn't know the rules. I didn't know how to pass a ball. Um, what is this scrum thing? Yeah, God, I hated tackling. I never, I never loved tackling. Oh, no. By the way, <laughs> I'm, I, dude, I'm a swimmer. I'm yeah. like, don't touch me. That's why. Um, that's why I picked the position furthest away. So I played fullback furthest <laughs> exactly. away from where all the contact was. Like you guys go do that over there. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna run over this here. Is, this just seems stupid. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, and it was just something. I guess it was the opportunity that presented itself to me when I sort of turned 15, 16. Um, I never really envisioned it as a career, yeah. you know, until I had, as a 17 year old, had the conversation with, well, I, I mean, the first realization was when after a carnival, I got a phone call from a rugby agent. Wow. And I was like, who the hell a rugby agent? <laughs> like, this is why is this guy calling me? Yeah. <laughs> this is a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, but there was a couple of guys a year older than me, um, Quake Cooper and David Pocock. Ah, yeah. And so I had them as sort of sounding boards. It's like, hey, guys, what's, who is this guy? And, um, you know, and they've, they've got their own agents. And so they're talking, you know, they, they guide you through, they talk you through the whole thing. This is how he helps you. And then I was like, oh, okay. So we can do this after we finish school. Yeah. Like you can earn money and play rugby. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. And so, and that's, so that's, I mean, you know, you go back and being, I guess, aware enough to realize that the Wallabies, it wasn't being a professional athlete. I think you're all, you're, you're wired to just want to be the best. Mm. And so, you know, if getting the Wallabies jersey meant that it was the best at what I was doing, mm. um, then yeah, you know, that's great. Um, but no, the actual Wallabies jersey itself, it was never a driving yeah. factor for me. Got you. Um, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And, you know, and it was more just about, you know, it was more just about fun for me. Yeah. Um, yes, it was a way that you could earn a, a decent living. You know, I mean, before the age of 25, I was, you know, the money that I was earning wasn't great, mm. you know, through all my injury. Like I was just, I was hanging on. Yeah. Like I was hanging on. Um, but, you know, I was able to live a lifestyle that was flexible uh, it was fun. I was with my friends all day, every day. Yeah. Um, you know. It's ex- such a special thing to be a yeah, professional athlete. And exercising and just doing fun things. So, yeah. um, you know, I look Hopefully back. not tackling people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, because I was a fullback, if I had to tackle someone, it meant that they had broken the first line of uh. defence. So if I missed it. I'd just blame the guys in front That's of me. There, for it's your it. fault. No, exactly. Don't rely on me. I'm the worst of the team at I'm doing the it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was just something that I don't want to say fell into my lap because there was lots of hard work involved. Yeah. And to sustain it and keep yeah, you know, exactly. and keep it as your career. And rehabbing is and you know, that's not a fun process. Exactly. I think, you know, you look back now and the mental toll taken yeah. through all those rehabs and not being able to play and, you know, when I... Because you're isolated when you're rehabbing, yeah, exactly. right? Like you're, you're like, not doing... You're what with the team, but you're not with the team. Correct. Yeah. You know, you're on your own schedule um, because the physio's got to... They have to be available when the main team's training. Yeah. So, you know, you're doing all your rehab and stuff outside of yeah. team trainings and... Um, so, yeah, it, it can sometimes be a very lonely thing. Mm. I mean, I was in it... I was in re- team rehab for so long, so I had lots of different people come and go. Yeah, um, you know, in the team, they're like, "Oh, coming to check on you." Yeah, they're like, "Aiden, you're still here." I'm yeah. Like, yeah, I might just, you know, this is where I live now. <laughs> yeah, I live here. <laughs> oh, the physio bed. But yeah, can you can feel very isolated at mm. times? You know, those five years. I mean, the the skills and the me- the mental skills you take out of those whole experiences just yeah. put you in such good stead. For me, having like just met you and learning more about your story, I can see how. 
that experience and those traits that you learn through those really difficult moments, I mean, has led you to <laughs> having three kids with another on the way and deciding to move to PNG. <laughs> I mean, why not now? I mean, if not now, then when? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I mean, so in 2020 when, so we were in Japan, mm -hmm. Sonny was, he was only a few months old and then this whole COVID hit yeah. and we were like, shit, we can't. You know, they're going to shut borders. We, I don't want to get stuck here. Yeah. My team was good enough. Uh, we had a couple of Kiwis as well as a couple of Aussies and my team was good enough to let us leave. Amazing. Before the border shut, some Japanese teams held their foreigners there. So, you know, there were guys who were wow. stuck there with their family stuck here. Oh, gosh. For like, you know, a whole year, um, which just seemed uh, yeah, brutal. I, I don't know. How, yeah, so brutal. Absolutely brutal. And so we were lucky enough to get out and – I'm going to venture a bit into life after. Yeah, what's please. That sort yeah. Of looking about, yeah. Uh, what's how that's sort of looking. So a year before 2020, my uncle, he's been in the payments industry for 15 years and we had a family, but he just moved up from New Zealand to Brisbane and we're having a family barbecue at my house. Um, and he started talking about this specific alternative payment platform that his company, uh, well, sorry, his ex-employer had built. Yeah. And he, and he, um, and he, we were just chatting. He said, mate, it would be brilliant for the islands. And, um, he said, but my boss, Andy, he, he didn't want to invest. He said, go get some data, bring it back. And, you know, we'll build a business model around it. We'll see if it's worth investing. But the trouble with the islands is there's no data out there. Yeah. Right. Um, and so when he was telling me this, I said, well, why don't we build our own proprietary tech? Yeah. And he was like, really? And I said, yeah, well. I've got a bit of savings there. Um, I've still got a year left on my Japanese. Like it was a great idea at the time. Yeah. You know, I've still got a year. Before COVID. I've still got a year left on my Japanese contract. I'll, I'm in a good spot. Like I've been playing good rugby for them to renew for another two years. Mm. Um, so let's do it. And he was like, all right. So we started to sort of set things in motion. COVID happened. Um, I knew I was coming off contract and I just had a little knee clean out. But, you know, I, I still thought I'd done enough to get another contract. Yeah. And so we came back and I started, you know, to keep myself busy. I was playing with East, but off the field also, I was like, well, let's just dive into this um, payment stuff and see how that looks. Yeah. And yeah. And so we started, we started exploring a whole heap of things over the next sort of six months. And then on the rugby side of things, my contract had just finished. Mm. The cash had dried up. Because it dries up immediately. It dries up immediately. <laughs> like nobody tells you yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we had we had two houses at that point, three little mouths to feed, you know, and I'm putting all this money into developing this technology. Mm. And then it started to become, you know, I guess the global rugby landscape from a recruitment point of view because teams had to cut budgets and everyone was cutting, yeah, everyone was just cutting things everywhere. So there was a bit of a recruitment freeze mm. and so it was just really uncertain and it sort of got to a point um, as you mentioned I came back played for East we mm. won the premiership and there were like a couple of nibbles here and there but nothing set in stone and I guess me and Beck we just had a conversation and we just thought you know rugby's dictated our lives for you know the last 12 years mm. yes it's taken us to beautiful places amazing and, opportunities yeah, amazing opportunities and you know although this wasn't how we sort of planned the end of my career going. Mm. Let's take control back um, and let's start to do things and control the controllables. Mm. You know, we don't know if, if a rugby contract in the next few months pops up, we'll reassess it then. Absolutely. But let's move on with things um, as if there is nothing on the horizon. I love that mindset. Yeah. So we just, so we started to put things in place. As I said, that the, payment platform we were developing slowly uh but you know he had a full-time job i wasn't really too sure what the hell we were doing <laughs> um, like, so, uh... so, so it, it was a, it was a slow burn mm. um sounds like everyone's first job out of being an yeah <laughs> and then um the i guess the financial strain of having two properties mm. um you know it, it started to you know there's lots of money going out none coming in Luckily for us, my mum and dad had a house just down the road. Mm. So I had a conversation with them. My sister was living there. I said, can we rent our house for the next 12 months and move in, move our family there uh, just to give us a bit of breathing space? Mm. And they're like, yep. So we were lucky. We had that opportunity Amazing. there. 
Um, and in that time, I got a job. There was a rugby. Um, also in retirement, you learn the power of your network. Yeah. Um, so any so if true. you've got younger athletes or transitional athletes listen now listening, you know, go out, talk to people and just start building your network. Because you just do not appreciate it oh, while you're an athlete. No way. It's like, oh, I have to go meet people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is lame. Yeah, I remember our, um, our like team manager would come in and be like, we've got this corporate event coming up. Uh, they want two guys from the Reds. Mm. You know, who wants to go? And everyone would be like, you know, like at looking school, away. At school, when you don't make eye contact, <laughs> yeah. hoping the teacher doesn't pick you. So like, true. Yeah, please don't pick me. Please don't pick me. <laughs> and then if no one volunteered, two guys would just get. You know, so it's not. Please don't pick me. To please don't allocate it to me. Yeah, I don't But you know, you look back now, and it's like, man, I should have been jumping at those opportunities. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, so there was. I was lucky. There was a contact um, in my rugby network, and he had just started up his like a renewables company. Uh, it was only it was small scale. He needed a, a salesperson essentially. Yep. And he said, I know you've got no experience. I heard you're retiring. Do you want to come just see, you know, dabble in it, see if you like it? Yeah. And I was like, man, the time, the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Amazing. Yeah. So I was like, this is a great opportunity. I'm going to pick it up. We'll still develop the payment stuff and we'll keep that going. But this is going to at least have, have some money come in. Yes. So my kids can eat more than just noodles. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Not just vaping on toast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so did that for 12 months. How did you find it? Uh, man, I tell you what, the first week of sitting at a desk for seven to eight hours, Isn't it? Uh, I was exhausted. <laughs> yes. Exhausted. Right? Yeah. It's so weird. Uh, it was so, it's so strange. Yes. I was like, how can I be tired from just sitting down? Yeah. You know, I'm used to running around and getting the heart rate up to 200 beats per minute yeah. and and I'm just sitting down and I get home and I'm just I'm collapsing on the couch because yeah. I'm so tired. Yeah. My body um, uh, m- during my first and only corporate experience. Yeah. <laughs> I, like sitting for 8 hours a day like ruined my body. Yeah. It was um but it was it was it was a great experience. I mean just you know learning and I was luckily enough uh, my boss then a guy named Dave uh, who owned the company? He was he was just a brilliant business. He was so smart. Mm. You know, he'd been he was a well respected sort of business person. Mm. Um, and so just picking up little things off him yeah. in terms of how he communicated to clients, um, just how he went about his day was great. And another, like he was obviously in my rugby network, mm. so it was quite enjoyable. We'd just sit next to each other and. You know, when the when the test matches were on or Super Rugby was on, we just chew the fat and we'd sort of talk about ways we could we would fix Australian rugby. <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> Pretty sure everyone talks about that at the yeah, moment. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it was it was a totally invaluable experience. I mean, just getting that firsthand experience in the workforce. Uh, you know, I'm sure he would say that I was a terrible employee. <laughs> um, but 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 it was yeah it it was. It was a great experience. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed it, and it was, it was just so different. So different. It was yeah. just so different, and I mean, and in the meantime, I finished my bachelor of commerce. Amazing. And then, oh, so you're studying all the while. So yes. Yeah, so <laughs> I. By the way, well, on top of all of this, yeah. At, when I turned 23 and realised that um, rugby players do actually study, yeah. Once I had that realisation, um, I went back and recommenced. Amazing. And so it took me a while, and. So yeah, I got I got my Bachelor of Commerce done in 2021. Amazing. How long did it take you? Uh, ten years. Hey, I'm at 14. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't received my bachelor degree yet, but I'm on the in the process. Yeah, but you're still plugging away I'm at still it. Plugging exactly. Away. Uh, you've been a bit busy in the meantime, though. <laughs> Thank you. Hey? Thank you for acknowledging yeah, that. I yes. appreciate that. No, you can um, give yourself cut yourself a bit of slack there. I mean, I changed I know, degrees I a few times. <laughs> But it, it is, it, you know, it's just like it's just like anything. And you know, I think was it a podcast that I was listening to of yours may have been. I think it was with the AFL guy Tom Boyd. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And he said something, and he said, you know, a person in the you know in the corporate world by the time they're you know thirty thirty one or whatever, they had changed jobs six or seven times trying so to find true. out. You know what resonates with them, what role um, they like, what role they like, what they're happy what with, company they like. Yeah, yep. exactly. Whereas you know we've just been athletes for twelve years, so yep. this is really the first pivot in your in our careers. So you know, it's we very true. You can't be too hard on yourself. Yes. You know, it's all a learning experience, and you know, you're just you forever just gathering information from different you know from different parts, and you're trying to 
figure out what works for you. Mm. Um, I know you've done it. As you said, you had that corporate job. Yeah. And then, um, you know, this whole space that you're in now is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, I think the information that you're putting out there Thank and you. Um, the platform that you're giving to, you know, people like myself and other athletes to, you know, voice their their lessons and their journeys. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and that's the beauty, as I just mentioned before, about, I guess, podcasting in general. 100%. Um, and well, we're both talking about and, the Imperfects podcast and, and yeah, now we're yeah, obsessed about that. Exactly. <laughs> and just the world that we live in. You know, I, I look back at those times in 2012 and I mean, you know, mental health, it, it wasn't really a thing. Yeah. Talking about, um, you know, talking about your feelings, being depressed, like they weren't sort of, how can I say, they weren't as talked about, they weren't as magnified as they are now. Yeah. It was still quite stigmatized. Yeah, big time, big time. But yeah, and I, you know, and I just, I look back and I just think about all the other players who have gone through the same things. Mm. And, you know, in, in this whole journey of retiring, I've been talking to a lot of retired athletes and the majority of them have, you know, it's been, it's definitely been a hell of a journey. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to find what you're meant to do or, you know, or just doing something to keep food on the table. 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, that whole period in 2020, 2021, it was like as much as I wanted to focus on going down that entrepreneurial route, like feeding three kids, like I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> you also have responsibilities. Yeah, correct. You also have responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and at that point in time, I was listening to lots of podcasts about young business owners and startups mm. and, you know, the sacrifices that these people made. And I'd listen to one after the other, but I, I never came across one and maybe I was looking in all the wrong places. Never came across a, a startup founder who's trying to balance raising a family as well. Yes. And so, you know, they were all just really selfish individuals. Yeah. You know, and, and you, they Which could, is cool. You might which achieve. Is, which is so cool. You can achieve so much when you're just like laser having, focused having on one thing. to think about, you yeah. know. And the, and the stories were amazing. You know, they were sleeping on friends' couches because they couldn't afford to pay the rent. Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, they had their own troubles of their own. Of course. Um you know, and you gotta, you have to go through that to then. Well, I feel like you have to go through some sort of hardship and build that, build that resilience yes. to then go on and achieve something great. Otherwise, you're not gonna know what to do. Yeah. Uh, when shit hits the fan. One hundred percent. Yeah. You'll just give up. Yeah. Exactly. Throw in the white flag. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you know they had their own journeys, but yeah, but none of them. Yeah, I couldn't afford to do that. Yeah, but yeah. it's that combination of you know, wanting to raise good humans. Yes. And also wanting to honour that part of yourself that was a human before these little exactly. people came along. That's exactly right. And wanting to create something that will make the world a better place. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> we need to do, like, let's do a podcast. <laughs> let's start a podcast about entrepreneurial goals yep. and raising a family. Yes, maybe we should. We should. Maybe we should because you're doing a hell of a job at it. Thank you. You're doing a hell of a job at oh, it. Oh, no, we're all just shit hitting fan at all times but just <laughs> yeah, having a crack. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, when I first retired, there was, you know, a few months there and you just feel, you know, you lose the structure in your life. Yeah. and Because I had training, there was always at least that little bit of structure. Yes, home life was always very variable because mm. of the kids. But training was always that one constant. Yes. And then that got taken out. So I felt like my whole life was just a shambles yes. for those few months trying to figure out what I was going to do outside of rugby. Well, setting your own schedule, yeah. right? Yeah, setting your own schedule. And then you're like, you know, you'll have this realisation. All right, I'm going to organise my day tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to wake up at 5.30. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to get back, have breakfast, whatever, have a coffee. And then I'm going to sit down at nine and write some stuff, whatever yeah. it is. And then one of the kids walk into your room at 2.30 uh, because they had a nightmare <laughs> yes. and they're up for half an hour to an hour. Your alarm goes off at 5.30 and you're like, I can't get up. No, I'm, too, I'm too tired. I, I, I'm way too tired. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, having kids, there's just constant curveballs thrown yeah. at you all the time. So it is, it's a, it's a fun balancing act though. It is. And it's, it makes life interesting. It does. You know, it like I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, daydream sometimes about going back to life as a swimmer because it was oh, so you and me both. it was so simple yeah. and so straightforward and yeah. so clear but 
I don't know. But it's, I wouldn't have it any other no. way. No. Yeah. It's, a, it's a weird thing, you isn't just, it? Oh, yeah. I've just, Beck and I, we've embraced the chaos. You got to. Yeah. I mean, you have no other choice. You have no other choice. Otherwise, yeah. you're just resisting uh, it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, yeah, I think things are a lot more enjoy. You start to enjoy things a bit more that way. Yeah. Um, you know, when your kids are, someone's throwing a tantrum there and then you're trying to put that fire out. Yeah. And then, dad, dad, dad. Oh, my God. Coming from the other angle. Mom, mom, <laughs> mom, mom, mom. Yes. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, if you don't have the right mindset. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just going to grind you down because kids will <laughs> grind <pulp>. you down. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> uh, but um, So the move to, to Port Moresby, are you moving to Port Moresby? Yes, yes, moving to Port Moresby. So how long do you – are you moving back there for good? Are you, yeah. Um, what's the plan so there? A move to Papua, back to Papua New Guinea, it's always been something that I've wanted to do. Yep. One, I always wanted to take and, – and Beck, we, we agreed – about this, we agreed on this at a very early stage mm. was we always wanted to take our kids back mm. um, and not just visit. We wanted to live there yeah, um, to give them that whole experience. Yeah, That was one part of it. I think being one of the few Papua New Guineans, um, you know, there's only a handful of us who have gone and forged a professional sporting career. Mm. There's some sort of duty and responsibility for me to go back and, and help. Yeah. Um, raise, you know, not just rugby, but sport in general. I mean, it's just such a, you know, you hear stories from all over the world about how sport, you know, it brings together communities, mm. you know, it's a, it's a country that it struggles. Mm. Um, and I think sports a good way, you know, there's lots of, there's lots of idle youth at the moment. Okay. There's lots of kids just sitting there not knowing what to do. And I think sports a really good way to, you know, at least just give them, give them something to look forward to. Yeah. A positive thing a, to a, do. A positive thing to look forward to. Mm. Um, I don't know what that looks like, but I feel like it's. I need to go back and help in some mm. sort of way. So, do you feel like that quite strongly? Yeah. Like in yeah. the role that you've kind of been able to create here, you have that responsibility. One hundred percent. And I mean, I talked about it on David's podcast, but you know, and just so funny. Jason and I played in the same soccer tournament. What? Into in well, the same soccer tournament. We were one year apart. So I, he went in 2000 and I went in 2001. That's crazy. Unbelievable. Such a small world. Um, but so a uh, Papua New Guinea rep- representative team gets invited and it was in Cairns mm. to play each year. And, you know, I look back at my career as a professional athlete and I look back at that specific tournament and the, the different people, 11-year-olds who were in my team, mm. the backgrounds that we were from. Like I went, I was lucky I went to an international school. Mm. Some of the kids who are in my team, you know, some a lot of them were from community schools, which are, mm. I guess, sort of like the state school equivalents, mm. but like they're they're not really. Mm. And some of them weren't even at school. Yeah, right. And we got put together, and I look at the sporting talent in that team, and I was, you know, down the bottom in terms of actual natural talent. Wow. And as I got a bit older, or at nearing the end of my career, I just couldn't help but think if they were afforded the same opportunities, mm. what these kids could have done. Um, and that's why I sort of say, you know, I feel like I've got a responsibility now to ensure or to try help those community school kids or the kids who don't get, who aren't lucky enough to come to boarding school, mm. be presented with this opportunity. I need to go back and I need to find ways for them to, you know, let, the, let their talents shine mm. um, and, and create a pathway for these kids, because I mean, you know, Papua New Guinea, it's a, it's got 10 million, it's a country of 10 million people. I look at the Fiji sevens team. They've got, I think Fiji's got 1 million, their population and their sevens team are world beaters. Yeah. And I'm just like, surely out of the 10 million, yeah. we can find 12 yes. who can be competitive at a world, at a world level. And the beauty about Papua New Guinea, it's so diverse. You know, there are 800 different languages. Wow. Um, there are people central where I'm from there are people in the highlands and you know we could be from totally different countries different yeah. builds um so you know that all the ingredients are there just need the proper frameworks and organizations and structures put and like, around them and like you said the pathway 100% and you know I, I always talk about you can't be what you can't see if like those kids don't know what the pathway is yeah. or they don't even know that there is a pathway because yeah. it probably isn't right now no the 100% is it um, you know, they, they see guys like David Mead they see 
um, these Papua New Guineans in the NRL mm. and they love them, mm. but there's no way for them to get there. Yeah. What are the steps? Exactly. Give us the steps. Exactly. Give us the steps. <laughs> Give us the steps. So I want I'm, the process. So I'm going to go help um, map the steps out. Yes. That, that's what I want. Like, And that'll be part of going up there as well. Yep. The payment platform I alluded to earlier yep. is for Papua New Guineans as well. Amazing. So there's a couple of things. And then the reason we're going up my – so I accepted a job with a company called Ruswin, um, who is sort of an electronic security audiovisual company. And they, yeah, they gave me, uh, basically the kids can come up, we'll get housing, you know, we'll get all of that looked after. So they've allowed the opportunity for us to move back. So you won't be busy. <laughs> no, walk in the park. <laughs> just developing walk in the a car. business, you know, yeah. trying to create a pathway for kids, yeah. <laughs> having a job and four kids and a wife. No. That sounds pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. YOLO. Yeah, all of the days work. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I will be busy. Yes. <laughs> Moral of that story is yes, you will be very busy. But I think busy with exciting things. Busy yeah. with busy with things that, you know, I deeply care about. Mm. So it's I don't feel like it's going to be a grind. Uh, but yeah, but it's it, it's exciting. All right. So I I've got to get to the final two questions cuz I could talk to you forever. <laughs> but um the final two questions that I like to ask every person who's come on the podcast. Yes. So the first one I like to ask is what is the moment that you're most proud of from your sporting career? <sighs> so not necessarily the loudest one or yeah. the you know the best achievement but those quieter moments that maybe people know less about. Mm. Um I think for me Probably, yeah, as you said, I can't pinpoint one. Yeah. Um, but it would be the fact that I was able to make a career from playing rugby mm. over 12 years, even after those first five years of hell that I went through yeah. with all the injuries. Yeah. You know, and I'll, you know, I had my first ACL reconstruction as a 19-year-old. Wow. I came back from that as a 20-year-old and I had two ankle syndesmosis surgeries when I turned 20 uh, and then turned 21, had my second ACL reconstruction. And as a 22-year-old, I had six hamstring tears and they were all six to eight-week rehab timeframes. And then 23 was relatively injury-free, but it was a year where I had to learn to trust my body again, mm. which I don't think I ever got to. Mm. Still now? Oh, yeah, still now. You know, and I – so I I would enter rugby games even as a 27, 28-year-old mm. with injuries far, you know, behind me but thinking, okay, you know, if I'd make a break, I'd be thinking, please don't tear a hamstring. Mm. Like I was so mentally scarred yeah. and I don't think I ever got over it and I was playing rugby just trying to survive rather than flourish. Mm. And, yeah, and then 24 ruptured my pec. And so I think the fact that I was able to come back from all of that and still have, you know, still play 50-odd super rugby games, you know, play over in Japan, um, in France, I think, yeah, that that's probably in my sporting career, looking back as, it, as a whole, mm. just being able to make a career out of rugby, yeah. I think is probably – what I'm most proud of. Well, that's one of the best answers I've had. <laughs> that is amazing. You're amazing. And we've already sort of touched on it a little bit, but what advice would you give to young athletes who might be thinking about retirement Yeah. or, you know, are just entering it or even, you know, for someone like myself who's 10 years, what advice do you have for me, Aidan? <laughs> um. We, we, we have touched on it. I think um, connecting with people, mm. I think expanding your network. As an athlete, you know, you're in a, you're in a unique position where people actually want to learn about you. Yeah. And they want to know about you, yes, as an athlete, as the athlete Aiden Toa that they see on the rugby field, mm. but more as the person, you know, the person off the rugby field, mm. um, outside of the sporting arena. So I think building your network, don't be afraid to – attend the corporate events, attend the social events, you know, and I guess don't be afraid to build your brand. Mm. I know when I was coming through, um, we, I, uh, the Fanger twins, Anthony and Sarah, I don't know if you know them. Yeah. Um, they had come up from Canberra 
into the Reds in 2009, I think it were. And, you know, they're identical twins. One's a forward, one's a back. Like, cool story. Yes. And they were just the networking kings. Right. You know, they'd go to events. They had business cards. and, and They had, a, like, a wingman, though. Like, <laughs> if, I, if I had someone just to go with me to everything, yeah, that would be great. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> they always had their security blanket there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, and I look back now and we were like, oh, look at the Fanger twins. Oh, yeah. They're so lame. What? Yeah, they're what nerds. <laughs> Bloody hell. But, you know, and I look at their – they're one of the guys, their transition – into life after rugby and it's been seamless. Yep. Yeah. But, so it's, but it's not luck. Like some people, some guys do get lucky. Yes. But theirs wasn't. You know, they put all the, – they did all the hard work and it wasn't even hard work because people wanted to know who they were. Yeah. And then so – It's just showing up. It's just showing up. Yeah. Exactly. Being friendly. Yeah. Um, you know, being being curious, wanting to learn about different things. Yes. Uh, and then when the time comes, it's like, all right, well – you know, these guys are really good to me, uh, so I'm going to give them an opportunity or I'm going to introduce them to this person. Yeah. Because um, people want to help. Yeah. Like they people have, really do. People really do. Mm. So, yeah, I think expanding your network and or creating a network, mm. but then, you know, and also very young, start, start doing things, busy yourself outside of your sport. Mm. Start doing things, start learning, trying to find what excites you outside of, your sporting arena and not just playing PlayStation, playing <laughs> Xbox uh, on your time off. I understand that you're tired. Yes. Because training is hard. It is hard. But it only takes a couple of hours a week. Yeah. Uh, as, as we just said, people want to help you. Mm. You know, if, if a young athlete, if, you know, you reach out to someone at CBRE who you might have met, can I come in two days a week to learn about the property industry or whatever it might be? Yeah. These guys will be like, yeah, hell, hell yeah. yeah. Come in and, you know, we'll take some photos with the staff, you know, mm. and there's so much, there's so much you can offer. When I retired without my degree, you know, you then start to think, oh man, but what can I offer people? Yeah, like, I'm not qualified I, I in anything. no qualifications. Mm. And then you go through and it's like, oh, actually, you know, you've got, Resilience, you've got determination, you're punctual, you're hardworking. Yeah. You're, willing to learn. Yeah, willing to learn. Coachable. Exactly. There are so many things that you can apply to the business world, so don't be scared. And, yeah, and just try and find something to keep you busy. One, to keep you busy. Mm. To keep That will hopefully keep you out of trouble. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, and two, you're starting to lay the foundations for when the inevitable happens and, you know, the next person comes in who can run faster than you, yeah. who can – well, anyone can tackle better than me, so it was ne that was never a <laughs> that question. was never an issue. That was never an issue. Um, but yeah, you know, inevitably the next gen has got, is going to come through, and the Campbell sisters come through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's who everyone wants to know. Yeah. And you, you know, life goes on, mm. and at least you will have a foundation there, and you would have explored things, and you know, it will make the transition a hell of a lot easier. Oh, that's such good advice. I just think. Yeah, because I feel like that's advice that most people on this podcast would give. Well, yeah, yes, but yeah. you've articulated it really well because the the tangible actions that people can take is just applying themselves a couple of hours a week yeah. to building yeah. those networks, whatever that looks like, yeah. whether it's sending an email or setting up yeah. a coffee, you know, catch yeah. up with Even someone. Learning how to set up an email, yes. write an email. Yes. Um, you know, I only learnt those when I started my job. Um, 100%. And I mentioned before, I was like, I don't send emails. emails? Yeah. I still have my scooby underscore 444 <laughs> yeah. at hotmail.com. <laughs> Toa underscore 007 yeah. at hotmail.com. <laughs> So good. Oh, Lord. How embarrassing. Hotmail generation, yeah. baby. <laughs> I just feel joyful after speaking to Aiden. He is such a articulate human who's able to, I guess, observe and be aware of himself and how he's felt and navigate those emotions of processing the transition into life after sport. But I just, I think the things that resonated with me the most was how he was able to talk about those specific skills and abilities and how they can apply in life after sport and the tangible things that athletes can do now to get ready for that 
period of time because I feel like that was a missing piece in my brain. (laughs) And now that he's kind of spoken about it, it seems so obvious. But what an incredible human who, you know, is going to do incredible things in this world. So thank you, Aiden, for, for coming on the show. And as always, if you like all that glitters, I would love it if you shared it with a friend. If you can leave some uh, ratings or reviews, that would be amazing. Wherever you get your podcasts, you can do that. And also don't forget to follow uh, along at All That Glitters Pod. And if you do really enjoy sport and sports content and interesting conversations, come have a listen to my other podcast. It's called The Sports Social. And it's where myself and my sister-in-law, Georgie, talk about the weekend sport. We, we're really passionate about having conversations and making sport interesting and accessible to everyone. So we talk about everything from, you know, grassroots level sport all the way to elite athletes. And yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it. So head over to the Sports Social. We're also on Instagram at the Sports Social Podcast. Otherwise, I'll chat to you soon.